Hey, welcome to episode 105. Yes, I do know how to count. Last week I said 103 when it was 104. Oi, but you'll be fine. Anyway, welcome to Scar Bears. I'm Chris DT Gordon. It is fantastic to have you here with me today and helping me out as always are Nate and Britton Barron. Please give them some love at Nate Barron if you want them to help you on your projects. Well, I tell you, this spring thing, you know, I, I love spring, but you know what? We still have those dark struggles. Even though the sun is out in the sky more and more, we still have those situations that can make our days dark. And if greater gratitude, positivity, and resilience can help you in your life journey, please check me out at Chris dtgordon.com let's start a conversation how we can help you get through those dark days overcome your obstacles and strengthen your gratitude positivity and resilience well today i'm joined by my new friend kelly butler kelly how are you doing today I am doing so well, and I am a little bit grateful that I'm in Roswell, Georgia, and not in Minnesota, because I'm just not made of that stern stuff uh, for this cold, as we're recording right now in late January. Yes, yes, it is a bit, a, a bit nippy, I would say, and, you know, a couple of days ago, as of this recording, it was negative 25, so I think you, George, you know, you as a Georgian may not have appreciated the cold as uh, those of us up here who in, who actually some some people actually enjoy it. I'm not Go one figure. of them. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Well, hey, whatever makes you happy, you know. Right. So, so anyway, Kelly and I are of a an interesting group in that when we reached forty, we decided, you know, the whole midlife crisis thing is so overplayed you know some people go get sports cars some people go on great trips some people make new friends no judgment there we decided we're gonna do something else entirely we're gonna spice it up we're gonna almost die and so that's what we did but we did it in two totally different ways and my audience knows my story, Kelly, but they don't know yours. So if you could please share, that would be great. Absolutely. And I'm so delighted to be here with some incredible warriors uh, listening in. And I imagined and planned my 40th birthday that I would actually be in Italy um, with my two teenage sons and my husband taking my family out of the country for the first time. And where I actually was on my 40th birthday was in a wheelchair at the Shepherd Center, which is a, a neurological institute in Atlanta, and uh, wasn't quite as fun as I planned. You know, well, you know, Atlanta and Italy, they can be warm. So there is a similarity there, but I can see how a wheelchair may not be as scenic as walking the Coliseum or climbing to a CC. You're so right. Exactly. And so, you know, I was really an overall pretty healthy mom of two boys and, you know, working in a corporate career and I got sick with a virus and it was right around the time COVID was just starting to really come into its own here in the U S and 
instead of recovering normally from that virus, my body thought it was still fighting that virus, but in actuality, it was fighting itself and specifically the nerve coatings throughout my body. And so that actually brought me to a point of paralysis where I, the signals could not get from my brain into my muscles to have my body move. And so it was extremely terrifying to have the sense that you're losing complete control of your body. And it came on progressively over a couple of weeks. And then I started to drop glasses because I just wasn't able to hold on. And the weakness was just getting more and more profound. And uh, until one day I could not stand up on my own and, and I knew it was time to, to go to the hospital. And so when I got there, I was actually having trouble chewing and speaking by that point. And, uh, so I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, GBS is much easier to say. We'll just go ahead and give it an acronym. You know, I, I, like, is... I like trying to speak French, but yeah, I think <laughs> GBS works a lot better. Yes. And, you know, Chris, I'm just going to get pretty raw about this because I know how candid you are with your listeners. And that's the one reason why they follow you because, you know, they crave that, that realness. And I'll tell you that first morning when I was in the hospital and I was um, barely able to move, I was able to uh, very slowly take myself out of the bed with the assistance of a walker and I was literally moving at a snail's pace and I'm trying to get to the bathroom. I'm wearing non-skid socks on a walker with a dribble of pee running into my sock. And I'm standing there and saying, who is this person? What happened to me? And I felt like I had been transported into the body of a 90 year old woman overnight. And it was just unrecognizable and very difficult to come to terms with this recovery that my doctors were going to, you know, saying could take up to three years. Hmm. So they knew what the situation was because if they, if they were giving you a prognosis, that means they knew they had done a diagnosis, correct? They did. Now they were not too confident in it. I'll say that. So they thought that's what was going on. And then even later I was experiencing tons of frequent infections over a month of fevers and unexplained things and, and different, um, very invasive tests and other things. So they, they weren't quite sure because my case wasn't textbook necessarily, but that's what they had enough to go on and enough to share with me what was ahead in terms of my journey. So they had an idea, but just not enough to go with. What were, what was your family going through psychologically and emotionally while you were dealing with this? Because I'm, you know, from my own experience, I know no information or very little information is not good information when you're a family member caring for someone in the hospital. It is so true. And so I think what also added another layer to this is that I was hospitalized at the beginning of the pandemic. And so I was not allowed to have any visitors whatsoever or anybody there with me. And that, I think that, yeah, yeah. 
it was so hard then not only for me, but then for my family and, and especially my husband, Jeff, who wanted to show his support, wanted to be there firsthand to hear what the doctors were saying. And, um, just the fear that goes along with, again, you know, losing control of your body and not being able to reach over and pick up a fork to eat, you know, by yourself. Um, and so that, that required a lot of work on our part. And I think I even found myself trying to reassure him, you know, on the, I tried to, you know, talk to him a little bit when I felt up to it. And when somebody could hand me the phone and, and be able to speak to him for a moment. And the other thing that I just tried to tell myself is that you're by yourself, but you're not alone. Mm. And I think that's such an important distinction. And I just mentioned that in case there's somebody listening who themselves or has a loved one going through a hospitalization during this time, because it's a, it's a whole different animal um, to be separated and also to be going through the uncertainty of that diagnosis. Wow. That, that is so profound that you're able to have that realization while you're in that situation. I don't mean to rhyme, but that happens from time to time. So you're in this medical condition, you're, you know, GBS, your body is not working. Your family cannot see you. At what point, well, first of all, what prompted you to have that thought of just because I'm alone, just because I'm by myself does not mean I'm alone. And was that the turning point for you mentally to start making the upward climb? I think it was. And there, as I'm sure you can relate so much to Chris in terms of your own personal journey is that there are situations that you just cannot control and you can only control so much about what's happening to you at a given time, but no matter what is happening to you physically, nobody can take away your choice of how you choose to see how you choose to interpret and internalize your situation. And so even though I wasn't able to move my body, nobody could take away how I chose to see it. And and I recognize that it was a choice and I'm not saying it was easy. There were lots of breakdowns, you know, and, and bad days and really tough days, but it felt empowering to me in that moment when I can control so little that no one could take that away. You know, I, I think I, I was thinking of Victor Franco and, yes. and that, you know, and his whole message. And I think it's man's search for meaning, correct? Yes, it yes. is. And, you know, his whole you know, his whole uh, message about hope. And that is definitely something to not underestimate. Because once, you know, if you have hope, you know, anything is possible, no matter the situation. So you, you start, you know, you start developing this mindset. At what point were things starting to follow your mindset and go up that upward trajectory towards recovery? Yeah. So when I left the hospital, I was not able to go up one stair, let alone the 17 stairs that lead from my downstairs to my bedroom where I have a, a fully uh, full bath up there. And so, um, and thankfully my mom lives locally. I was able to go and rehab with her in a one story home. And so I did something that I think that you do so often too, Chris, is I, I use some humor because 
that's just how I am. And it's how I like to relate to others. And so there was also this need for my recovery to separate myself as of how I see myself and this version, this 90 year old version of me that now was my reality. So um, I named, I said, now I have an alter ego and I named her Mildred and Mildred was this, you know, puttery 90 year old lady who watched the birds and needed a potty chair and uh, needed help doing everything. And, you know, during that time and needed to be bathed and all those sorts of things. And I just tried to tell myself that I'm not a sick person. I'm a healthy person going through an illness. And that helped me to uh, not to internalize and adopt that belief about myself um, and take on that identity of, of permanently being a sick person. That's not how I wanted to see myself. And so the humor helped and it was a way for me to share on Facebook or on social media because during the lockdown, I, I couldn't see anybody. And I was so susceptible to infection that I really wouldn't have been able to anyway. And so I was looking for a way to connect, um, aside from, from physical visits and that helped me through. And so I think the other thing was, um, it was, the humor could have been a little bit of a, it was a coping mechanism for sure, yeah. but a couple of days out of the hospital, this was also a turning point for me is that a friend shared on Facebook. She shared, shared a website for project Athena, never heard of it before. So it's an organization, a nonprofit who helps survivors live their adventurous dreams. And so the founder is Robin Benincasa and she is a world adventure racing champion. And okay. she um, and the foundation provide grants for uh, people who've overcome a major medical setback to live out an adventurous uh, journey uh, together with other survivors and supporters. And so I read that there was this trip to Zion National Park and that it was an ultra marathon hike. And at that point, a goal to me would have been, let's sit up for five minutes, you know, or let's um, stand for, for five seconds or something. And so that goal, although that was my reality, it didn't motivate me. And so I knew I needed to choose something bigger than myself and also find a way to wrap gratitude around that goal. And so I decided when I could not sit or stand that I was going to hike this ultra marathon hike that and I'm no athlete, by the way. So this was, um, but it was something that be began to drive me and gave me a fire. You know, as a runner, I applaud you, first of all, for picking an ultra marathon. But as a regular person, I think, wow, you must have just been in greatly inspired or there must have been a fire lit underneath you about this project Athena. And I, you're the first person who ever told me about this. So I'm, I'm highly interested in it now. So how many people do they have participating in these events? Yeah. So it differs by the different events and there are several to choose from. So there's um, a kind of an urban marathon walk that's out in San Diego, either one or two days. And then there's a keys to recovery adventure, which is cycle and paddle over the course of three days down in the Florida Keys. 
Uh, Zion is the second most uh, physically challenging. That's the ultra marathon hike. And then also there is a rim to rim hike uh, through the Grand Canyon, which is the most physically demanding option. And you can do one or two days of that as well. And so in my group, we had, I believe there were nine of us total on the adventure. And then in some of the adventures, they have a larger group. It just depends through the pandemic. It's been probably a little off on the numbers because of travel concerns and things like that. But um, they're the most amazing humans. And um, although they come from backgrounds of different diagnoses, it's really about that shared mindset of positivity and hope. And as soon as I read that, I just, I got a chill through me and I knew that I wanted to share that experience with people who understood how monumental it was going to be. And it would give me a community that I could focus around that was going to provide that positivity that I was looking for, even though it was kind of a ridiculous um, goal for me to set for somebody who sleeps through their workouts and <laughs> um, literally fake sick during second grade PE until the principal called my mom. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> a bit of a change. You, you need to do uh, so, some work to do an ultra marathon. So how long did it take you to train? Uh, so at that point, I just didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that that's what I wanted. And so I was trying to take it step by step. And then unfortunately I relapsed, um, about five months after my, my initial setback and I was hospitalized again, again, lost the ability to walk after I had been learning how to walk for, for five months. And it was, it was a devastating setback. And I wondered at that point if I would ever, you know, make it to Zion. And, but I had submitted my application, even though there was no physical evidence that I was going to be able to, to actually accomplish it. And so I kept believing that somehow that was going to happen. And so by the time last May rolled around of 2021, I was physically able to at least start walking and walking on my own independently. And Project Athena does provide virtual coaching for five months. So we had a, a very strict training plan that we kept to, and we had milestones to make sure that you could get there. And so some weeks were up to 20 hours a week. It was very intense, but, um, and through the Georgia heat, you know, it definitely prepared me to get to Zion. So. The day arrives. You know, I'm guessing there is a start line. There's a, a line you got a toe, and the nine of you are lined up against it. I'm guessing the start was a little anticlimactic. Go walk. But right. I, 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 but what was the, what were you feeling as you crossed that starting line and you started on this journey? You know, I really felt this a sense of connectedness and community with the group because in a traditional race, you might be competing with the others that are in your group. And this was actually the opposite. It was everybody staying together. And we all got a bracelet that said, whatever it takes. And so it was about doing whatever it takes so that everyone could cross together. And so it wasn't necessarily about the speed it was that everybody was going to, to finish together. And, and we started at, at 345 in the morning. So it was pitch black and we were out there with our headlamps and out in the wilderness and seeing a part of the country and a, and a part of the, the back country in Zion that few people are able to see. And the most 
profound thing I think at the starting line was that I had this laminated card on my backpack and I had made myself a promise back when I was in the hospital and I couldn't write that I was going to dedicate every mile to somebody who had uplifted me on my journey. And so prior to leaving, I made 45 very emotional phone calls. I wrote letters. I sent voice messages. And so I had a picture of my family and I had every single one of those names and I was going to make it bigger than myself. And I was going to make it about them. And they were really on my mind when we started. That's quite beautiful because it's, you know, and I talked about this before, uh, during my message, it's important to recognize those who have helped you and to let them know how they have helped you. And so I applaud you for doing that. I'm guessing then you said 45. Is that how many miles the race was? Yes. And so it was about 23 miles the first day and then the remainder on the second. And we did, we stayed in a sort of a glamping uh, type of a, a setup in between and not a whole lot of sleep. And we started the next day. We, we got up about um, 1.30 in the morning to get started the next day. And again, began for, for hours in the dark to uh, make some miles before the heat begins to set in. I, I imagine that the the night sky must have been just gorgeous with the with the stars and uh, you know very little light pollution. It was incredible, and there was there wasn't any of that light pollution and the silence. Even just being able to trek out there and not see another human. I think it was we were maybe nine to ten hours into a day one before we even saw anyone else on the trail. Wow! And you feel like you have this the splendor of nature that's there just for you in that moment. And it was very profound because I had always tried to use visualization about what it was going to feel like and what it was going to be like when I was on the trail. And some of that wasn't how I, I wished it to be because I was in such pain on day two. And I honestly wondered if I was going to be able to make it. And I knew the only way out was either by foot or that it was going to be a life flight helicopter. And so <laughs> I made up my mind that I was going to come out on my own uh, two feet, but it was not without pain and just uncontrollable crying just out of sheer ex exhaustion. It was just something I've never pushed my body that hard. But you had your friends with you. Yes. Yes. And that, and that must have helped you out, obviously, because you're going to tell me that you cross, I hope. Yes. And we were at this moment where we were descending this incredibly steep canyon and it was sort of this donkey path. And then on the right side was a sheer 400 foot drop mm. and the grade was incredibly steep. And so we were using our poles so that we don't fall forward. And by this time your legs are weak and screaming, you know, so, um, and I just, after all the pain and then looking at this and I'm like, okay, nobody told us about this during training because nobody would show up if we knew about this. And so, but my friends were so smart and they started asking me about my list. They could see it on my backpack. And so we started going name by name and asking me why that person was on the list. And it was amazing how shifting that in my mind made me feel physically different and physically stronger. And that was really the turning point on the second day when I knew I was going to make it. I can very much resonate with that because I remember when I was in early in my recovery, I was still in the hospital. I was still bedridden that 
my wife Becky told me about all the people who had helped us while I was in a coma. And my that thought of all these people are stepping up for us. I'm not going to give in to the negativity because that would be a slap in the face to anyone who stepped up for us. And I imagine that was the same for you, hearing all those names and, and thinking about how all those people are cheering for you and helping you out. So that that is a very deft move by your companions. I can imagine that just was the boost that you needed. I don't know how they knew to do that, but it was so brilliant. I was much too broken down at that moment to even think of such an idea, you know, whatsoever. So they stepped up big and, you know, really helped me to, it was a district, a wonderful distraction and it just took the focus off of myself. And that's exactly what I needed. Sometimes we do need to take the focus off ourselves and, and think about others because, you know, if we were to just mire you know, or just, you know, dwell and wallow in our own mire, we would never find a way out. But, you know, those friends, they throw us that lifeline of whatever form it takes, and it really pulls us through. So, you know, I could tell that this, this journey has uh, greatly impacted you. And, you know, you are a changed person because of it. Going after the race, how how has your life, how had your life changed? You know, it's funny because I expected to come home and then just sort of celebrate the achievement and then maybe move on with whatever goal that I, I might want to set next. And I had left corporate. I actually lost my job of 20 years before I was fully recovered and uh, was the primary breadwinner in the family. And quite a shock, which is another life change that was happening during um, all of this post 40 drama that you and I decided we would create. Yes. And so, but when I got back, I had a sense of uneasiness, the sense of internal tension. And honestly, I, I felt it for a few weeks and these feelings kept coming up that I, I meant to help others you know, how did, how did you go through all of this and why did you go through all of this? And it is clearly to serve other people. And it was a very inconvenient nudge because I'd spent time, money, effort, building a different business. And I honestly felt very strongly called to pivot and to do something new. And I had this thought come to me and it was to be a comeback coach. And Hmm. although I'd never heard that term before, I immediately felt that that's what I was and meant, was meant to be. And so I, at first, of course, as we all do, when we try something new, I felt some fear around it, but okay, Kelly, well, you want to be a coach, be a coach. So I sought out an initial client to work with within a week and a half and just started being a coach and stepping into that role to just get through that initial fear. And so now I am on a mission to really educate and inspire women in particular to create a life of joy and purpose after they've had a major medical setback. What are your goals, either short-term or long-term? Because this is a beautiful endeavor and I applaud you for taking it on, even though you started out not knowing how to do it. You know, that's sometimes the best way to do something because then you're, you know, if you don't know what to do, you know, how to do something, well, good chance you might not mess it up 
because you don't know how, what the wrong way is. And so what's on, what's on track for you now? Yeah. So right now I'm working with clients one-on-one to just meet them exactly where they are on their journey. And then in April, I'm going to be launching a group program just to create what I felt was lacking because I think when we receive a, a very shocking and a devastating diagnosis, I think the first thing we do is strive to connect with people who may have the same problem or the same diagnosis. And the support groups and the online groups that I was joining, I, I just have to be honest with you, Chris, I was not uplifted and inspired. I was freaking depressed. And so what I want to strive to create is this community that may not have the same diagnosis, but they are absolutely on a journey to reinvent themselves and to refuse to be defined by their illness. And so much of us find strength, especially the big hearted listeners that you have, we find strength in lifting up other people. And so as part of this group, it's not only they're going to learn and receive coaching, but they are going to want to uplift and support the others in the group. And that's where I see the magic happening. And it's called the comeback collective. And I just think there's no limit to what we can create and um, the community that we can foster. So by the time this airs, the Comeback Collective will uh, hopefully be going strong. What is your, do you have an ultimate goal for it? Or do you just want to see, well, we're going to start us off and see where it goes? Yes, I just, I really want to make this accessible to the most people that I can. And so having these types of conversations and I am going to some public speaking, some elite training in March so that I can begin connecting and sharing uh, from stage. And I'm, I have a book kind of, uh, you know, swirling around and, you know, really it's about, um, you know, creating these different avenues to bring women into the collective. And some of it is, you know, free, right? I want, I want everybody to benefit from that, even if they don't end up joining the group and then to have this, um, you know, more, uh, you know, higher tier model where they're really going to get um, the finest and, you know, coaching and support as they, they decide who they are going to be and not trying to become who they used to be, but boldly go forward from the point at which they are now. Yes. It's very important to remember that when you deal with a life changing situation, you're no longer that person. I mean, physically, you, you might look the same, but mentally, spiritually, you might be vastly different. And so trying to live the way you used to be may not work for you now. Yes. So that's incredibly important to remember. So where can people reach out to you? I know they could jump on the Comeback Collective, but where else can people uh, say, hey, Kelly, I want some coaching? Yeah. So the best way to find me is on Instagram at your comeback coach. And when you get out there, you'll see in my bio, there's a few different links. So I'm so excited to offer different um, recordings of workshops, other valuable content that you can access from there. And um, I'm just so excited about what's to come and what will already be created by the time that, uh, that you're listening here. So just to give you a, a, a heads up, folks, that information might change. If it does change, we'll put it in the show notes. But right now it's your comeback coach on Instagram and the comeback collective on Facebook. Kelly, I, you know, I'm a gratitude guy 
and I find gratitude anywhere I look. What is something on your journey that you are grateful for that maybe in a past life you would never conceive even thinking of as a positive thing? Mm. That's such a great question. I think there are so many things. That's probably why I'm hesitating to try to answer, but I think that it would, I am grateful for the illness in general, for many reasons, I choose to be grateful for it. And one reason is, is that I lived my life holding too tightly to the steering wheel and trying to think that joy in my life was directly related to control um, over it and my own planning and ability to know what was around the corner. And it was an exercise in me surrendering a little bit and accepting and then being able to move through the experiences and choose to interpret what I would out of them. And um, but that exercise and surrender and of asking for help. And um, that's actually a really beautiful thing because it allowed me to expand my life and involve other people. And uh, I don't think that I would have necessarily learned that lesson any other way. I applaud you for that answer because so many of us are, you know, even before we reach our turning point, I guess you would say, are so fixed on keeping everything as just as they like it. It's, this is how I planned it. And then someone says, um, we're going to take it and twist it a bit and change it and then throw out the window and grab something new. Here you go. And so being able to see the beauty and the gift that that is, that changes is a wonderful thing. So Kelly, thanks so much for sharing that and, that, and for that answer. And now for my final question, what is your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> well, I am a Brontosaurus fan and I just love the gentle giants. There's just something pretty endearing to me about that. And the other thing that I love is that they see the world from a different vantage point that so many of the other creatures walking around on the ground can't see. I, I've never had anyone say something about the viewpoint. I know mm -hmm. that, you know, there are some people who adhere themselves to the gentle giants and that's certainly uh, admirable, but the, the different vantage point is, is something that we all could benefit from, you know, seeing something from a different point of view could really help us reframe our own stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel the same way, Chris. And I'm so grateful to have spent this time with you. And same here, Kelly. I really appreciate your time and getting to know you. And I, I look forward to keeping in touch with you and your story as you start the Comeback Collective. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chris. And so folks, you can reach out to Kelly at the Comeback Collective on Facebook or your Comeback Coach on Instagram. If those change, I'll let you know in the show notes. You can reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com. If you're looking for more gratitude, positivity, and resilience, you can download a free tag one sheet. You can go to the merch store and get a tag shirt or hat, or even a what is your favorite dinosaur shirt? There are brontosauruses on the shirt, Kelly, just so you know. <laughs> and just let's start a conversation about how we can increase your gratitude or the gratitude of young people that you know so they can become the leaders that we all need them to be. With that, folks, I'm going to ask you to please like, 
subscribe, share this podcast and this uh, these videos and recordings so people can benefit from Kelly's wonderful story and message, others' wonderful stories and messages, because if they're not heard, they can't impact. So please help me out, share and subscribe and all that good stuff. And with that, I ask you to please have a great day. Thank you for making my day better. And remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness. <laughs>